You're listening to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast. So welcome to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast, the show where we focus on self-improvement from the nerdy perspective. I'm your host, Joshua Salgado, and today we have a truly special guest I'd like to introduce, Mr. Steve Emerzian. You He's it. a seasoned performer from Hartford, Connecticut. Um, he has a performing arts and entertainment column called The Center Stage, showcasing emerging talents in the Hartford area, as well as he's scriptwrited for a few projects, such as the Hartford sitcom, The Big Shot, featuring Bernadette Stannis, as well, a World War II science fiction action series called Operation Guardian Angels, uh, which is currently in the process of being pitched to streaming services. And then to top it all off, he's the appointed commissioner of the Hartford Film and Media Commission, uh, dedicated to attracting external film and television productions to the city. So I'm extremely excited to have you on, Steve. It's a true honor to have you on my new podcast project. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce and turn it over to you. Um, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me, Joshua. I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of your, uh, your new podcast. I'm sure it's going to be a, a raving success. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, thank you for that introduction. I'm one of several uh, uh, film commissioners on the uh, film commission, and uh, awesome. we, we're thrilled. We were appointed by the mayor's office a few years ago, and um, several Hollywood films have come in, uh, and the, the, most of them didn't do the entire movie here, but they shot some scenes here. Um, awesome. On January 19th, one of the films that was shot entirely here, called The Featherweight, about the boxer Willie Pep, who was a very famous Hartford boxer, is coming into the Bushnell. So wow. we're going to be uh, promoting that and, and seeing some of the stars there. And some of them include people like Stephen Lang, who you may know from. He was in uh, Terra Nova. He's been in more more recently other productions. But uh, one of them is James Matteo, who was in Band of Brothers. Wow. Um, and he was the nicest guy on the set. I mean, I, I came cool. in several times, several different days, and he was never – it was never a problem to talk with him or smile or take a picture, and he did it with everybody. Nice guy. And I like those kinds of stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. That's awesome when, uh, you know, you have these stars and stuff, and they're truly humble, and they're just like right. – they, you know, love people. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I guess uh, I'll start it off with how did you get into the performing arts? What was your, I guess, origin um, – and Ooh. how'd you start getting involved? That's a good question. Uh, that's going back a long way. Uh, 150 years ago when I was in high school, <laughs> uh, I was a shy wallflower, uh, you know, until my maybe my junior year. And um, one of my teachers, I took a, a broadcasting course, a radio broadcasting course. Okay. And one of my teachers in the radio broadcasting uh, class said, you've got a really nice voice. I'd love it if you would uh, do the school announcements. And I was like, I'm not doing that. No way. And they, they kept uh, pestering me. I kept saying no. And finally, after about a month, uh, he, he got me down to the, the fact that I would do it. And it was um, I was nervous uh, putting my voice out there for all to hear. And um, But it, people seemed to take to it, and they liked it. And uh, there was uh, not too many uh, uh, criticisms. <laughs> you know, bullies can be bullies. But for the yeah. most part, people seemed to like it, and I enjoyed doing it. And after high school, I um, I decided to pursue broadcasting, and I went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Farmington, awesome. and one of the better schools, and um, got my radio certification. And right after that, I thought, you know, maybe acting might be something that I'd like to pursue. So I um, I remember uh, uh, applying to Juilliard and the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I got I got accepted to both. Um, awesome. You had to do auditions. Like, you, you remember the movie Flashdance where you'd have to go before the board and, and do your thing and, and you'd have to do the 
<laughs> she was dancing, but it, it was more like, you know, the monologues that we had to do. And they were stone-faced. They wouldn't let you know if you did well or you did badly. Wow. And so I walked out of there thinking I did all right, but not knowing anything. And then a few weeks later, I got a call saying I was accepted to both. I went um, to the academy because it ended up being a little bit less money. But as as it turned out, I ended up going to Juilliard. They had some uh, cross training program. So I would take like acting it at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and I would take movement classes at Juilliard. So I got a little bit of the best of both worlds. That's awesome. Um, and New York in uh, the 1980s for a teenager, I was only 19. So uh, it was scary. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything to fall back on. You know, kids today, when they go out to college, they have their dad's credit cards or, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have some sort of uh, foundation. I had zero. I had a wow. job, but it was like every two weeks you'd get paid and you'd have to wait to 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 get your money every two weeks instead of having. I didn't even have a bank account. That was yeah. a, wow. those were really those were really lean times, but it was fun <laughs> times. Uh, yeah. And uh, then I went into uh, I decided to take a couple of classes at the um, for filmmaking at the School of Visual Arts while I was there. Okay, and I fell in love with filmmaking as well as acting. And they would let me act in front of the camera, so it was kind of like wow, I get the best of both worlds again. And um, after about two years in the city, I couldn't afford to live there anymore. So I came back and did the four-year degree at Central uh, for theater and uh, communications. Wow. I, I, I hope awesome. I didn't go on too long. <laughs> no, getting, no. Keep going. Keep going. It. That's intriguing. So would you say, I guess, like, because you've you're highly educated in, I guess, performing arts, acting, filmmaking. Would you say nowadays... Uh, with all the resources that we have available, would you still think that it's important for people who are interested in getting involved, like continue, try to get education or should they start making short films and putting them on YouTube or like start getting creative that way? There, there, or do you think both? There's no easy answer to that. I mean, there's, no, I mean, Quentin Tarantino never took a, a film class yeah. and he was just a, a, you know, he just very knowledgeable, very yeah. smart guy. And, yeah. um, the really greats like Hitchcock and all those guys, they never went to film school because there was no film school. They went to, yeah. they were out of the theater. And the theater, yeah. there's a similarity to it, you know, mm -hmm. the, the transition to theater and film, like John Huston or these guys. But uh, a lot of them were just, you know, theater people that just had, they had a vision. Uh, I try to remember, I think it was Orson Welles who said, a film can never truly be great unless the eye is the lens in the, in the head of a poet. Something along those lines. I may be paraphrasing. But it really is true. If you have that creativity, um, I don't necessarily think that you have to go to yeah. film school. Having said that, I think going to taking a couple of classes at least uh, gives you the uh, the jargon, the grammar to use, that people know that you've, you've done this. And it prepares you, with, again, with a little bit of a foundation. And with regard to acting, I would highly recommend acting classes, even if it's just volunteering in uh, summer stock. You know, it doesn't have to be going for four years for acting, Definitely. but, um, you know, it will prepare you and, and, and get you set up, uh, whether it's theater acting or film acting, it'll, it'll get you set up, uh, for the future. Awesome. That's a, that's a really interesting perspective. Cause, um, I have a few friends who, um, well, one of them, he was big in theater, but he never pursued outside of like high school right. and he was doing a lot of stuff that was, uh, I guess a professional level in theater. He really loved theater and musical type stuff, but he never wanted to continue education. So like recently he reached out to me um, and he was just like, Oh, it's like, I'm struggling. I can't find any like roles or anything really. Um, and I asked him, I said, have you taken any classes recently? Cause he's going to school too. I'm like, have you tried getting involved there just to get new perspective and keep learning, you know? 
Um, so I know you mentioned like the schools that you um, attended, such as the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and then American Academy of Dramatic Arts um, and then Juilliard as well. Uh, so that's like, again, phenomenal that you have such a wide range of education in, in the industry. But what were some of the challenges? I know you mentioned like, you know, being a college student was kind of rough financially. Yeah. I mean, um, I was just talking to my kids about this because they're all doing, uh, my kids are wonderful. I mean, they're just, uh, I've got three of the greatest, their their grades are terrific. And one of them is studying in the UK and uh, one of them is about to become a police officer. Wow. And they are just so smart, so much smarter than I was at that age. But they also had a foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had the three meals. That they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from or the, the the roof over their heads. So in a sense that they have it a little bit easier in that sense. And, you know, we had no internet in the 80s or anything like that. Yeah. And getting back to um, acting, for example, if you wanted to be an actor, you had to really, you had to pay hundreds of dollars for professional headshots. You had to be really into this. You couldn't just say, gee, I'm thinking about being an actor. You either wanted it or you didn't. And if you wanted it, you had to pay the hundreds of dollars for a professional photographer, put the eight by tens on the back of a professional resume that better not have any, uh, you know, errors on it. You had to mail it because there was no email back then. You had to put it into an envelope and go to the post office and and pay whatever $1.50 it was to mail it off to. Sometimes it was Boston or New York. Then you'd have to follow it up with a phone call to see if they got it. (laughs) <laughs> and they knew that you were serious. So when you finally called these TV uh, series or, or, or films, they knew that, okay, we'll, we'll bring you on board. Now I think it's a little too easy where everyone can do it, and just emailing things in is meaningless because you don't know who's getting it. I like the old-fashioned picking up the phone and actually talking yeah, to the casting director, if possible. It wasn't always yeah. possible. But um, they knew that you were serious and that you weren't just yeah. like fly-by-night. Um and so I think that, that that's the fact, I think the technology is great that you can do all these things, but it's now flooded uh, yeah. with people that want to do it that are not necessarily great or even really interested or pa- I should use the word passionate. I'm passionate yeah. about the arts, whether it's filmmaking yeah, or writing sure. or acting. I can't wait to write sometimes. Um, I can't <laughs> wait to, uh, if somebody says, hey, I'm gonna, I want you in one of my movies and I don't have a lot of money or sometimes I do it for free if it's close yeah. by. Definitely. I don't mind that, you know, as long as I know they're not using me, they're, they're, they yeah. really just don't have the budget, you know, I don't yeah. mind that Definitely. Uh, because I love what I do. And, yeah. um, but there are people who say, oh, I wouldn't do it unless they pay me. And I get that. I, I understand where they're coming from, but what background do you have? I mean, you have to build up a little bit of a, a reel, as they say, um, For sure. whether it's writing or directing or anything else. And uh, yeah. it's all the passion. If you're passionate, yeah. you're going to go far. For sure. You know. Yeah, I mean, some of the, um, like, the I guess the most notable podcasters that I listen to, I think Alex Ramosa, he's totally different world. He's actually uh, kind of like a business guru, mm-hmm. but he launched several, like, successful gyms, and he mentioned, like, the whole idea of just working for free kind of thing in the beginning, like, just to even get the experience, just to get, understand the world, because... Again, like you said, you got to be passionate about a lot of things, anything that you do in life kind of thing, if you're going to pursue it truly. So that's that's a great perspective, I guess. And um, I see both sides. I mean, you don't want to be used. You don't want to be doing everything for free because people will tend to use you. You're worth, you're worth money, certainly, and we all have yeah. to pay our bills. But if you have a legitimate friend who says, listen, I really could use you one day if you could come yeah. in, not a big deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess to piggyback off that further, do you like do a lot of small and bigger projects? Just, I know you said you're super passionate, so you try to get as involved as possible. Is there kind of like a, 
do you have a uh i guess a checkbox like okay it's this type of project or you know i took an acting class and like typically you know they explained i guess when you're acting and stuff like that you have roles that are i guess a little bit easier based on your experiences or you know where you come from you know even how you look and stuff like that do you kind of have like roles or or things that you kind of tend to gravitate towards just because you're you enjoy doing that's interesting. I don't tend to gravitate towards anything, but okay. people always cast. I've been cast most um, most often as a police officer, a sheriff. Okay. I guess okay. I look like law enforcement for some reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think I'd ever have it in me to to really be a police officer like my son's doing because he's telling me how how hard it is to go through it. I had to be washed out the first week, I think. <laughs> but I do enjoy playing police uh, officers and yeah. things like that, and and Definitely. people in, in in charge and detectives and things like that. But I played all all different types of roles, comedy roles, and things of that nature. Cool. And I don't usually say no to something if it's um, as long as it's within you know driving range or. Well, if they want me yeah. to come out to Wisconsin, they're gonna have to pay for my <laughs> my ticket. But, yeah, um, they, they, my friends usually explain what the role is. It's usually pretty simple. I don't mind that it's not a leading role. If it's not a leading role, yeah. it could be just two, three lines. It could yeah. just be a background extra. That's how I started as a background extra. Yeah, uh, on shows like Spencer for Hire in Boston and uh, Law and Order, I did a few of those. And and every once in a while, I'll see a repeat and I'll say, "Oh, that's me walking past." You know, it's kind of weird, but uh, it's pretty cool. It doesn't matter to me what the what the roles are, um, as long as I think I can handle it, and I like the challenge of trying something that may not necessarily work. You know, definitely. But, um, I I don't I don't remember anything that didn't necessarily work. Um, there may have been, I just didn't know. Yeah, definitely. Because I remember, like during the acting class that I took years ago, um, the the instructor she basically. She mentioned a few different um, type of uh, acting methods. And I think like the most notable ones that everybody kind of knows is either like method or improv. Sure. And uh, I can't remember which type she mentioned, but it was it was essentially and from my boxing experience also, it resonated very well. But like as you flow and you say the lines back and forth, take and take and take, there's almost like a subconscious emotion that kind of clicks. And I felt that for me personally, as well as uh, I think a little bit of method. Um, kind of just because I remember we did uh, This Is Our Youth and we did a scene where uh, we were running out of the apartment building after uh, the friend's dad, uh, like it was like a money laundering type thing. And he like had to smack me. And I told my friend, uh, my partner in the class, I was like, smack me, like do it because I'm not going to be able to, you know, pretend. Um, and then later on in like seer school, survival school, um, we had some moments where we were kind of um, in a different world. And I can't really mention, I guess it public but we were in a different uh world where we had to survive uh certain environments and stuff like that and i got really into it and there's one point where that's like i was i felt like i was really there and i felt like that if if there was anything i guess for me personally so i guess my question for you is um when you figure out that method are you still trying to utilize different aspects or is it kind of like if you know it works you kind of I think I think it was Michael Caine who said that acting is reacting. Mm-hmm. You you don't want to seem like you're waiting to say the lines. You yeah. want to make it conversational. Yeah, and that that to me is the best acting in the world. When somebody goes like this and looks down and then finally answers you, like it's just coming off the top of their head. When you know they've memorized the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's and, and the British do that wonderfully. They're the best actors in the world, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Any any show I watch from Britain. They, they're far and away far superior on average to the Americans. And I don't mean that as a diss to Americans because there's certainly some great American actors. 
but there's just something about the teachings over there yeah. uh, in theater that they they are riveting. They have that gravitas, whether it's Patrick Stewart or whether it's you know Ian, uh, Ian McClellan. Uh, these yeah. guys, if you watch anything like The Crown or, or Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. any of those actors are just wow, outstanding. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it's they're very good at just being regular people. They're not trying yeah. to like outdo each other. Um, yeah. Some actors, some actually, some actors actually say to underplay it. You know, like you know, play it really low, like a Morgan Freeman, or you know, just yeah. barely acting. And it's like you don't want to seem like you're acting. If yeah. that makes any sense at all. Um, yeah, when definitely. when you're telling me your lines, I'm not. I'm not waiting till you finish and I'm just going to burst in. I'm going to be reacting to what you're saying even before Definitely. you're finished. Like even Definitely. with my facial movements or, or my eye movements or what have you. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It makes total sense. Because I know like when I was in that class and doing This Is Our Youth, uh, the character, he was like, you know, he was uh, kind of like a rebel. Like, you know, he, he, he did drugs and stuff like that. And I was like, totally opposite i like and i think the instructor did that purposely to get me a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but i realized that like if i ever and i think it helped me with personal relationships too like to just be able to get comfortable with all different kinds of people is like just find that link of similarity between that person's character well that role's character right that character um and then myself and then it helped me kind of get immersed because then almost like i felt like everything kind of synced up in the moment Mm -hmm. because I don't know. I felt like I kind of felt the emotion a little bit more, which was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, an act, an actor, or they say write write about what you know. If yeah, you're a writer, definitely. Uh, I'm a director of film sometimes, and and I enjoy directing, but I don't do it as often. But I'm a, I'm an actor's director, so yeah. if I'm dealing with somebody like we were doing a Beatles parody, I remember one time, and you know, some of the people didn't know who the Beatles were, which is fine. So I would say, well, who's your favorite band? And they would tell you at the time, I think well, somebody said White Snake or whatever. I said, well, ma- imagine when, when you're saying the Beatles that you mean White Snake, okay. if that helps you. And that seemed to help them get into the, the fervor of it. You know, and sometimes as a director, you can help them along. Um, during my sitcom, when I was directing it, uh, I, was, I was wearing many hats and the, the main actor didn't necessarily know where I was coming from because the character he was playing was supposed to be in his fifties with three kids and uh, not knowing where his uh, next move was coming from, if he was going to stay at the job. And this was a guy who the actor, not no, no fault of his own. He was only in his early thirties, didn't have any kids. So we would meet and we would, and I would tell him what my story was. And that helped him, even though he wasn't the right age, it helped him. Oh, I see where you're coming from. Why you think that way at 50 is not the same way you think at 30. You know what I mean? And Definitely. so that that can help too. Sometimes it helps the actor if they themselves can make themselves a backstory. You know, yeah. well, you're not just playing a soldier in World War II. You're playing a soldier who doesn't believe in killing. Let's say you don't yeah. like the idea of killing. You're doing it because you're ordered to. Um, but your your faith, your religious faith, is is you're you're, you're in. Uh, you know, you're you're against they're against each other, and you're in, yeah. in conflict. So that's that's an that's an interesting aspect, and then yeah. take it one step further. Maybe make uh, maybe you had some trouble when you were in your youth, but you didn't like certain people. You were bigoted towards you know Japanese or whatever, and yeah. you know whatever it is that gets you. Why are you the way you are? Why are some soldiers gung ho? Why are some soldiers soldiers with PTSD? Some yeah. people never get it. It doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's all about the individual and what what you've gone through. Definitely, you know. Yeah. Um, as just one example. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are complex. So when you go into the role of playing a person, right, regardless if you're playing 
you know, a Star Wars Jedi, they're still a person. You know what I mean? Right. Regardless if it's like the sci-fi uh, series uh, Guardian Angel Operation Guardian Angels, just because it's a science fiction or a horror movie or a supernatural or anything or a superhero movie, there's still people. So at the end of the day, like you said. And you've got to sell it. And that's interesting you bring that up because I remember William Shatner, they, they give him uh, heck being an overactor, but I, I like William Shatner. And he was trying to explain that the reason he overacted in those early days on Star Trek was because you were, you were playing against styrofoam rocks and puppets yes. and the yeah. budget just wasn't there. So if you wanted yeah. to sell that, it was your gravitas, the drama of it and the, yeah. the lines Sometimes yeah. it was the music that was coming in that drew you in as an audience, you know, even though you still see the styrofoam rocks or whatever, you can let that go as long as somebody's really trying to convey, I'm scared of this, um, you know. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's that's quite interesting. So I, I kind of, uh, I guess, with with your 20 years of experience, uh, what, what are, and I know we're kind of already talking about that, but what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, you know, pursuing this career? Well, there's not a lot of people you can trust. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who will tell you things that never come to fruition, especially if you're trying to raise money for a film, if you're a director or producer. Uh, they'll promise you the moon and then uh, very seldom deliver. Um, there's a lot of cutthroats in the business. There's a lot of... Um, uh, if you get on a movie set, it's almost like a theater, like a play in college where you become this... Um, this incredibly incestual family of theater people and you, you, you know everything about each other. Interesting. But then as soon as the play is over, you're gone and yeah. you don't usually hang out anymore unless there's another play the following year or something that you, you get into. Yeah. Same thing with a film or, or movies. And um, it's nobody's really, it's nobody's fault. I don't think. I think it's, you get so immersed into what this one project is, then it's over. And I had yeah. people after my sitcom was over, calling me up and, and crying and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, it's over. And I kind of felt that way too. It's like, wow, it was really hard. It was really difficult to do. Now it's over. Now what do we do? I want to yeah. still put on another play. I don't want to, you know, you, just, you get like a high. There's a yeah. high you get from being, from performing or, or writing or what have you. And so I'm not the only one who felt it. It was other people. And I thought, that's interesting. You know, when, wow. a, when a play ends, when a movie ends, whatever, um, we need that next, for lack of a better word, fix. Yeah. I've never been sure. into yeah. that you, you just love it so much. You want that next high, you that's, know? That, you know, that that's really interesting. That kind of uh, sounds really familiar because when I came back from my deployment about a year ago now, uh, you know, on deployment where I'm a load master, so we're on hardened crews on the C-130 plane. You know, we fly, we... 20 hour, hour days, long days, you're sweating, you're, you're grinding essentially. Oh yeah. You know, getting the mission done and stuff like that. And you, you, we like grow super close, same thing, like super close. You have intimate conversations on the plane about just life and things like that and joking around and whatnot. And then when I came back, like I had extreme difficulty kind of just readjusting to, um, and I explained it, I guess, most certainly imagine like Mars had human beings and you go to another country, you know, overseas like that. And it's much the culture, the histories, everything so differently. So you get used to and accustomed to that and then you come back and it's, you just have an issue readjusting. And it's the same thing. Like for me, I just wanted to kind of go back so badly. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, from that. And it sounded extremely familiar. I was like, holy, holy hell, like that. Well, that's a, that's a great analogy. And I think there's probably, and I don't mean to, to belittle because the military is certainly hard work compared to what we do in theater, but I think there are similarities to mm -hmm. 
the 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 the, the grind that you're doing for a mm-hmm. project, whatever the mission yeah. is, it's the for same sure. thing with the mission of a theater, the mission of a yeah. film. You got the Most pre-production, definitely. the production, and the post-production. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm, I'm when I go to regular jobs, I often use producer lingo. It's like to me, there's nothing different from this job that has nothing to do with the arts than if I was doing pre-production on a movie. I'd be doing this. This is what I'd be doing, and it's all about keeping your ducks in a row, as you know, do in the military. Definitely. Getting that yeah. C-130 ready, because if it ain't ready, somebody's heads are going to roll. Yeah, and the same thing with the producer. Yeah. You're going to hear from the producers, if you don't have your lines down, if you don't have the things ready to go on that yeah, day. Definitely. Um, so there is like a, there's a certain kind of like mission about it, you know, it's a very yeah. tactical thing. And, you know, I have great respect for the military. I, uh, my my uh, my uncle was in the Air Force, and, you know, I, I'm a believer in being on time. Being on time is late. Be yeah. early. Yeah. You know, I've never been late. early is on time. Yeah. I have never been late to a job as God is my witness in my adult go. life. I've always, 95% of the time I've been early and I have no respect or very little respect for people that are yeah. continuously late. Don't yeah. be late. Don't yeah. be late. <laughs> yeah. Things do happen. Yes, of course. But I mean, um, you know, I've just been lucky. I mean, the, the time will come when I will be late, but it's uh, so far it hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty good. But it's all about discipline. Like, you know, discipline Definitely. being in the military. You have to. My son's telling me about the discipline he's going through right now with his academy. It's like, yeah, they're not I putting up magic. If you're going to be on our, our, our police force, you better get this done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear excuses, sure. you know. <laughs> But I laugh at that because I I was, I was that way anyway. Nobody had to, tol- to tell me to do that. My mother uh, was uh, the one who raised me, but yeah. she was the one who said, uh, don't be late, You know, do your hard work. You don't have to love your job. You can hate your job, but you took the job, so do the job well. You know, yeah, and that's definitely. the way I was raised. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's something to be said. Like even uh, it doesn't matter what you do, but taking pride in what you do, coming in early, maybe staying later a little bit, just doing a little bit extra and trying to keep getting involved above the standard or the, um, I guess, yeah, the standard of expectation, you know, trying to do, even if it's just a little bit above that, but keep, have pride in yourself that I'm working, I might be a janitor, but I'm going to be the best damn janitor, you know? And I've done that. So. I've been a janitor and I've been, and, and, and yeah. on my first week, there's a, you're the best janitor we've had here. I said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know the other guys. Yeah. I'm just, you, you hired me to do a job. That's what I'm doing, you know? So, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you know, I feel like a lot of people, and I might, I may have fallen in that too at some point. Like they'll hear acting, or they'll hear like performing arts, or making a movie, and they're like, "Oh, you know, the extravagant, the fame of it." Instead of just understanding, like it's going to take a lot of work, it's going to take a lot of research or learning or whatever, and the discipline coming in early, late days. I've heard stories of, uh, um, you know, plenty of actors who will come in and like eighteen-hour days, and they're just like line same take too it's not even like it could be one small scene one line they're not even doing much but you know either technical difficulty or you know special effects whatever it is right or the director's just like we need to get nailed on the head right and that long day you know gotta be focused on on that you know what i mean rather than just like oh the fame of it or the glory of of things where that that may come at some point for anything in life but that's a great point you just brought up yeah. because you, yeah, there's very few, you know, they only want to hear about the red carpets and the fun yeah. and yeah. it is fun. And it's sometimes fun doing the, the actual shoot. But you know, when I was on law and order, we'd have to play, you know, there would be people who would have to be the dead body in the dumpster. Yeah. And, all, and the, the first thing out of their mouth is like, I want to be that person. Cause you're going to be focused on me. Yeah. But you're there all day and you better not move. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that, but those people are serious, you know, yeah. that's, uh, 
that's just part of the fun of it. And, and but there are so many, like I said, even today, there are so many people who call themselves actors or want to be actors, and they may even mean well, but they just don't have the tenacity to do. Oh, I have to be up that early to go to the shoot. Oh, I, I can't get there till like eight. No, it's a four thirty shoot. So yeah. if you can't get there at four thirty, you're not coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that. It's, you know, it's that simple. But yeah. um, they all like the love of the. the they like the, the. They love the romanticism of what showbiz is. Yes. Yes. There's hard work. If you're a writer, you're going to be a writer's block, and you're going to mm-hmm. be up till three in the morning. You're a director. Mm-hmm. You got to like the day before. You got to make sure all your ducks are in a row. Same thing with a producer. Same thing as an actor. There's no easy in or out. You know, yeah. there's uh, all the jobs are important, and if you Definitely. have one job and your job is to make the props and get the props to the set, and you don't do it properly, you're not going to work again. Or, or yeah. certainly not a third time. You know, you yeah. might get a second chance, but you know, definitely. Um, but that's, yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I think, I yeah. think that's a, that, that, you know, I, there are a lot of good actors. There's a lot of good things, and, and especially since I, I focus on Connecticut, I've never been to L.A. Yeah. I lived in New York for two years, but I pride myself on the fact that I was able to do a lot of my work right here in Connecticut. Yeah, you know, ninety awesome. percent of it, and it's like I didn't expect that that would happen, but I was lucky, and. Um, it, it can be done. And Connecticut is just as good as, as Atlanta, Georgia for The Walking Dead. I mean, it oh, was, yeah. you know, time, the, the very first show that I worked on, Spencer for Hire, was the very first television series that was shot away from Hollywood. It was only in Boston. Wow. That was so unusual in 1985, whenever mm-hmm. it came out. No one could believe it. They thought it was going to fail. But it went on for three seasons. But nowadays, yeah. most most of these shows can be done in you know uh, New Mexico or Georgia uh, or you know Massachusetts or whatever. But yeah. that was unheard of before. But yeah. now there's no reason Connecticut can't be part of that or Hartford. Yeah. You know, that's true. You know, and like one thing about Connecticut, I'm born and raised. It's like we have so many different like subcultures. Like every town is so different. I'm from Bristol. I remember a few years back, uh, I think it was a Hallmark movie. It might have been. Um, I think with, I don't know if it was Mario Lopez mm-hmm. or there was some someone who was famous who is uh, they were filming on North Main Street and I was working at the Walgreens down the street that's now closed. But uh, I remember I was like, oh, I hope I can go on break. I'm gonna like try to you know peek a little bit just to see. But I was like, I always thought like, why would somebody want to come to Connecticut? You know, being a little trying to be like, why not New York, whatever. And then you know I looked up the movie and I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, if they're filming a movie that takes place in Connecticut, why not film it in Connecticut? Right. Why not like go to the real place or have actors and actresses and, and people from that area who, you know, mm-hmm. know how, like, you know, I wouldn't know how to walk down like the streets of Chicago, let's say, or, you know, Wisconsin, you know, how I don't know how living like that is. So I feel like it would take more to be able to play a role in that area as a character kind of thing, rather than if I'm from Bristol, Connecticut and play a movie in Bristol, you know, I agree. And, and Connecticut has a great film commission, not just the Hartford Film Commission, but the Connecticut Film Office. And there, we are so open to anybody who has any questions about permits or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We make it so easy. Um, and that's why we've been getting more Hollywood productions coming in. The last one yeah. I just mentioned, Featherweight with uh, Willie Pep, they loved us at the end. They were so thankful that we uh, took them around location scouting. Uh, we, we made things easy for them. And Connecticut has a 30% tax credit. So oh, you wow. you work and we're even working on there are some people that I know that are working to get it to like thirty seven percent, which yeah. is unheard of. Yeah. And you you make it high enough in a uh, tax credit and you'll you'll make everybody come here. Yeah. We have the studios yeah. already. We have the yeah. uh, the infrastructure is already here for the most yeah. part. We might need a little bit here and there, but it's here and ready to go. Um, yeah. 
and now I'm talking as a commissioner, but I'm just trying to promote, you know, Connecticut and Hartford. And uh, yeah. people are start, starting to see Hartford for what it is, which is um, yeah. a good place to shoot. Yeah, definitely. So I guess I know you're talking about a little bit about like the role of a uh, commissioner, but what, I guess what's the day in, day out kind of uh, process for you as, as the commissioner? Uh, it's just a, it's a volunteer position. It's um, okay. what we do is whenever, not necessarily a Hollywood production, but any production wants to come in from out of town. If they have any questions, we can facilitate permits. We can uh, help okay. them get the streets open or the streets shut down. We can tell okay. them where to go. And and sometimes it's just as easy as, hey, do you know a, a hotel in the area that would take pets? Or do you yeah. know a, a restaurant in the area that would let us shoot inside just as okay. is? We don't want to dress it. We just want to go into an Italian restaurant. Who do yeah. you know that's open to just like letting us come in? And there's lots of people like that. So it's something yeah. as simple as that. Um, sometimes it's as exotic as finding a specific locale that's just woods. Yeah. Um, but we want it close enough to a hotel or a city, you know, and uh, so that gets our brains going. So we, yeah. we're, we're helpful in that way as liaisons, I like to, that's awesome. to call yeah. it. You know, and then when the movie comes out, we promote it. We put it yeah. up on the, uh, the, the website and well, we promote the heck out of it and tell them where to go to the TV stations to, to get their, their stuff. And then we promote it on the red carpets and, um awesome. so that's part of the fun yeah yeah that's really cool that's interesting um i guess i want to pivot again towards um so your column for performing arts entertainment center stage um i guess how is your approach for finding um like emerging performers emerging actors and things like that well center uh, stage actually started in a newspaper um, okay i was a new i was I, <laughs> i've had lots of different jobs I've, i was a newspaper editor and writer wow and I wanted to do arts and entertainment specifically. Okay. And and then it, it, it morphed from that to giving me my own column, weekly call center stage in the Farmington Valley. It, okay. it covered, uh, you know, Farmington, Simsbury, Avon, you know, mm -hmm. all, the, all those towns, Burlington. And I would just get local talent that was doing something interesting, whether they were actors who have a small part in a movie, maybe they okay. were directors or writers or what have you. And that was fairly easy to get uh, during that tenure. And then after that came to an end, I thought, why not call my podcast Center Stage? And yeah. I went through Patreon. And so I did it out of my basement. And, oh, wow. Um, it only lasted a couple of years because I could, I, I need engineers to help me set up the camera. I wanted to have like multi-camera setups. And my son yeah. helped me a little bit for the first few, but then he wasn't around all the time. So uh, it got kind of difficult. I, I just want to host it and produce it and get the guests. I want some yeah. engineer to take care of the rest of it. And I know it's easy for some people, but for me, it's like the, the, I yeah. can't be in both places, behind the scenes yeah. and, and in front of it. Definitely. But um, I had local uh, filmmakers coming in and um, okay. my friends from the past that, that had done some interesting things. And it was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Um, and I looked at, I'm looked. i looking to get a podcast going again, maybe calling it Center Stage again or maybe just calling it something totally new Yeah. Um, once I get a little bit of a budget. We're working on that now for the new year. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's but awesome. I loved it. I mean, uh, I got to interview uh, one of the guys from Mad Men TV series. His name is Michael Gladys. He's uh, Kyone Wolf works with NPR. I don't know if you know the name, but she's very famous here. But her brother used to work on, on Mad Men. And wow. I got an interview with him because we both went to Farmington High School. Oh, wow. Um, and so he, we were talking about the same hangouts that we would hang out after and party yeah. at. And it was just so cool. surreal to talk yeah. with him. Um, and then I had a few people on my uh, sitcom Bernadette Stannis was from Good Times, and I had a few people uh, that live in Connecticut that uh, that were in it as cameos too. And it's like this person that you've not idolized, but you watched her on TV when you were a little kid, and now she's reading your script. Yeah. 
<laughs> one day. That's awesome. And just repeating the lines that you wrote just a few months earlier. So it, it's mind-boggling what the things that can happen in a matter of a short time. You know, yeah, definitely. Just by luck or knowing yeah, the right people. Yeah. And I think also too, like your hard work, I mean, you spent the time getting the education and building yourself up and like, um, you know, you were working on different aspects of performing arts and then like even podcasting is kind of the form of journalism, interviewing people and stuff. So you're building up that whole repertoire of experience. And that's kind of the one thing I guess on the podcast that inspired me to start trying to create content and podcast, the book of five rings. I don't know if you're familiar with, um, no, I'm not. so it was, so it was a, ja a Japanese samurai from feudal era, Japan. Um, and he was like phenomenal. He never lost a, like a match. And he, at the end of his life, he decided to write this book. He became a Buddhist philosopher and he was like, you know what? I've learned all these lessons through my martial arts career and life in general. And he talks about the thing about never settling and, and constantly learning different skills and different, going to different places and stuff and experiences so that when you tie it all together, you end up becoming more well-rounded. And like, mm -hmm. as you're explaining all your experiences, I was thinking, wow, like that's kind of like the living i guess inclination or iteration of that you know you put in the work we were talking about too about like how you come in early you go extra you have the passion for it and you're just really grinding for it and then eventually someone that you looked up to was reading your script and acting in one of your shows it's phenomenal well it's, it's like you said it's a hard work first the passion Mm -hmm. Then it's a lot of a bit of luck. You know, I, I wrote a book, my memoir, uh, about three years ago called uh, Life at 24 Frames Per Second. And it talks about my life living on the fringe of show business. Yeah. And I, I self-published it. It wasn't a publisher or anything like that. But it was just, yeah. it was fun. It was a fun, cathartic uh, writing. And sometimes it was just be, be dumb luck. Like I used to work at the Oakdale Musical Theater in Wallingford when it was a smaller mm -hmm. theater. And I got to meet everyone from Jay Leno to uh, the Monkees wow. to everybody. And wow. eventually I got to write for Jay Leno. Oh, uh, wow. because I was his stage manager. And then uh, I'd meet him a couple of times after that. And back in the early 90s, you were allowed to be a freelance writer. They wouldn't necessarily use your work, but you could send in jokes. And I'd yeah. send in jokes, you know, just as an example. And it took me months and months. And then um, I got really uh, PO'd a little bit one day. So I'm fa I didn't even have money for a fax machine because they were so expensive <laughs> in those days. So I'd go to the West Hartford Library and fax in the jokes. Yeah. Well, I get home. I said, how about helping a guy out who helped you on the stage at Oakdale Musical Theater? I was trying to see if he knew me. So I get home and there's a there's a message on my machine saying, you know, I got your stuff. Don't worry about it. We, you know, oh, wow. what we buy. And then he bought a couple of jokes, uh, you know, a couple of months later. So uh, that was kind of nice. Phenomenal. I'm sure it was just to make me feel good. I'm sure he didn't even yeah. like them. <laughs> but it was nice to get a check, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. It, I, I always had the the gumption of trying things. There was always the opportunity. It always seemed like there were more opportunities in the 80s and 90s to just go after what you wanted. And there was a chance you could get it. I don't see as many opportunities now like yeah. that because, again, the technology kind of is a, is a barrier. It, it can be good, but it can also be a barrier. Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially when you when you're used to one on one and, and looking someone in the eye and yeah. and um, you know picking up the phone, yeah. old school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. That I goes like a long text. way. I, I mean, I don't like to text. I don't like to email. Only yeah. as a last resort. You know, if I have yeah. to do it, I'll do it. But um, you don't get a feel for the person when you're not talking to them. Yeah, definitely. You just don't. Definitely. Um, I hope yeah, I answered some of your way. questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You did. I mean, that's that's awesome. And like. I don't know. You, you hit on the nail kind of, I guess, like I, I, I guess a lot of the other episodes I talked about is like 
another premise is like failing. It's okay to fail. The only time you ever really fail is if you just completely give up or oh, you're yeah. dead. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And I failed at a lot of things. As yeah. I mentioned in my book, there's a lot of things I tried that didn't work. But yeah. you learn from your failures. Exactly. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, you know, I feel like a lot of times social media especially doesn't really, and even I guess maybe movies and film, it's like you said, the romanticization, but like they don't showcase how many actors fail or like took years and years and years to get that one role or that one opportunity to be able to do what they love doing kind of thing. So I feel like a lot of times we talk about all these successes, but never about the failures and that it's okay to fail. Because for me, at least like growing up, I was always told, don't fail, don't get bad grades, don't do anything, you know, bad. But I, as an adult, whenever I fail or make a mistake, I, I'm like, okay, so that didn't work, you know, or I almost, you know, maybe I almost lost an arm or whatever, whatever. Hopefully I'm not doing anything crazy like that. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> you know, I made a mistake, failed, it flopped. Okay, let's move on. Let's pivot and see what we need to do to keep, you know, building up. I would also su- I would also suggest to any actor, anyone interested in acting is to, to read memoirs of famous yeah. actors. Okay. You got Patrick Stewart just came out with Make It So. Henry Winkler just came out with, I don't know what the book is called. I have to read it. Um, you know, The Fonz and yeah. um, Michael Caine. They all have similar stories about how when they were first starting out, people thought they were horrible, told them not to go into acting because yeah. they would <laughs> never make it. Um, but it was it was that criticism that got them stronger. It made yeah. them stronger to want it more. You know, yeah. we've all had that critique. Oh, you're you suck, or you you're no good at this. You should go into something else, or uh, who do you think, yeah. or or who do you think you are? A lot of people yeah. are jealous of you, not because you're a better actor or writer or anything like that, but because you're pursuing something that you want to do. They're not doing it, so they're yeah. Ma- yeah. and everything else but i enjoy it so much and i i pursue it and i keep going i'm, I'm like a you know once i'm I'm a, I'm a bulldog i just keep on going and i'm yeah. sure i'm sure you're the same way in the military yeah. you're like there, there's something you're either driven to do whatever it is or you're not yeah yeah you know yeah and i feel like when you get like hit in the face with a failure or something doesn't work out it's kind of like like you said someone tells you you suck yeah, for me at least, especially, it motivates me. It's like, okay, now, now I'm really gonna, now I'm gonna like figure it out and do better. Right. And it's not even to prove them wrong. It's just because, like, it's like, okay, I may suck now, but give me like even five years, give me five months, give me, give me a little time, and I'm gonna come back, and you know, it's gonna right. ramp up. We're we're going up, you know. Right. So, but also, if, if awesome. you're that if you're that thin skinned that you can't take the criticism, you really yeah. shouldn't be there. Yeah, you know? exactly. People are always gonna say they hate you, and especially if you get famous. I mean, you know, yeah. with the with the especially with the the social sites and all this, they're they're yeah. they're gonna lay into you, and you better be, <laughs> you better but be. Some ready of the to stuff is brutal to oh, actors yeah. and and anybody who's online who has any kind of audience or any doing anything creative. It's like, wow, like how do you have that much time and energy to put into somebody negatively like that? That's like brutal. Like, well, they're 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 keyboard jockeys, as you know. Yeah. You know, they have yeah. nothing else going, mm-hmm. and it's not that they're it's not that they don't have the right to critique you. They do have the right to critique you, but they don't have the right to like bully you. There's a yeah, difference. Exactly. And there's people that just are out there just to to, to mm-hmm. try to destroy you because you dare to have a a desire, a yeah. passion to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Just don't give up. Whatever you're doing, don't give up. Yeah. Just keep going. If you really want to do it, then pursue it. You for know? sure. For sure. That's, That's awesome. My, I my advice. 
Yeah, I appreciate that's excellent advice because I don't know how many people and myself included, you know, you get in those days of dumps where you're like, oh, why am I doing this? You know, and that's phenomenal. So I have another question for you. So I know you, we talked about the big shot, yeah, um, that sitcom a little bit, um, but then Operation Guardian Angels. I guess what what inspired these stories? Because I know I read I read a little bit of the synopsis. It was a World War II sci fi film. Um, and I guess, how did you go about with the creative process, bringing it to life? I've always loved science fiction to death ever since I was a little kid and, um, world war two movies for some reason, yeah. cause I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties. So I remember like the sixties and seventies when they'd have like the great escape or the dirty dozen or a bridge too far in the early seventies. Those are some of my favorite movies, Kelly's heroes. Mm-hmm. And it was a time where. You know, it wasn't too far removed from World War II, and we were heroes. And it was probably one of the last times that everyone thought we were great. You know what I mean? Not to say that they don't think we're great now, but yeah. in that time, that was we were defeating an enemy that was just incredible, yeah. and the world was involved, and it was just those those kind of things. Band of Brothers. I mean, uh, yeah. all the anything that comes up. My buddy Craig, um, he's better at this than I am. He he knows all about you know the 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 pro- if we're watching a movie. He knows if it's accurate, you know, the, the uniforms they're wearing yeah. from the enemies to the, and if it's the wrong gun or the wrong tank or whatever, he'll, he'll walk out of the movie. He's like, they didn't, yeah. they didn't do their, they didn't do their homework. So I, I respect him a lot for that. So yeah. he got me involved in a lot. Of, oh, they wouldn't have worn that kind of a uniform or that's the wrong gun. They didn't come out with that till 1948. It's like, well, who's going to know that? You know, who's going to know a tank is from 1943 or 1946? He would. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I got into like that kind of genre of the World War II movies. Yeah. And um, then I thought, well, I like, I like X-Files. Mm-hmm. I love the X-Files when it was coming out. I was like, what if the X-Files met Band of Brothers? And the way it came about was there are many mysteries in World War II that mm-hmm. were never solved. Uh, thing, you yeah. know, they talk about um, uh, Foo Fighters, the little balls that would come up to the planes and they didn't know what they were. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and everyone saw them, not just us, but the uh, the Russians and the American, uh, the uh, Germans and the Japanese had similar stories. UFOs and Roswell and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, planes that would disappear and then reappear. Uh, there, yeah. would be, there was one where a battleship came ashore with nobody on board. And they were never found. What happened yeah. to them? You know, there was yeah. like eighty people on the ship. Definitely. You know, so you hear all these like you know Philadelphia experiments and you know mm-hmm. things that happened in Germany in nineteen thirty six. A downed UFO. Did they get uh, reverse engineering? Yeah. Hitler was uh, into the occult. We know this for a fact. There was a special yeah. divi- there was a special division called Annenhaus, uh that his people uh, would would go and and worship to these things to try to get more power and things like that. Ridiculous yeah. things. Yeah. But just the idea that they would do this in real life. Maybe we could take that one step further. So the the idea for the um, Operation Guardian Angels were these guys. There were commandos that were former priests, rabbis, uh, people who had uh, specialties in the occult to go behind enemy lines to see if Hitler was getting help from from the devil, or uh, from from some some powerful super uh, like entity type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we know that there was, and the Japanese had the equivalent of a Dr. Mengele called Unit 731. Not a lot of people don't know about that, but they would, yeah. they would experiment on, on American GIs that they'd captured and they would put animal pieces on them instead of, you know, and all sorts of weird, brutal stuff. That yeah. When you read the stuff, it's like, I, that sounds science fiction. It's like, well, what if this stuff, you know, what if we went, you know, with the commandos who, and it's bookended and there's, it, it starts out with the, it's in present day with the last survivor of this unit. 
and he's like 104, you know. We don't really know what his age is, but he's like he's a, he's he's giving his story to a reporter. And then mm-hmm. it goes back into the the past in 1943 as he's telling his story yeah. from 1943 to the end of the war and all their missions that they go on and, and all the interesting things. And I thought that would be a terrific way yeah. uh, to do it. And again, it could be shot in Connecticut. It could be shot yeah. relatively inexpensively, you know. Yeah. Um, I think once once any of these, uh, if we did a weekly series like my sitcom, could be done for about one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars an episode. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a lot of money, but the average sitcom is three and four million dollars per episode. Wow! So to do it for like three hundred thousand, let's say even, yeah, that's nothing. So if we were to do a, like an hour long drama like this one I just told you about, Operation Guardian yeah. Angels, we could probably do that without a big, you know, without a, a huge cast of known people, maybe some cameos. But yeah. we could probably do that for under four hundred thousand dollars an episode if shot in Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. And so that that I have ten store. I have like uh, eight stories ready to go with the sitcom. You know, I have at least ten story ideas for the Operation Guardian Angels. So. Yeah. Um, and then I have an idea for another sitcom after that. So who knows? Uh, yeah. And then other movies. And yeah. um, Knowing what we know and with the skills and with the people we had, we did the sitcom mm-hmm. pilot for $15,000. We wanted $50,000, yeah. uh, but we just didn't get it. And so yeah. although it looks like a $15,000, it's a conceptual pilot, we'd have to redo the pilot again. Yeah. I still, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's, that's really interesting. I the sci- I'm a big sci-fi nerd. That's kind of where the whole podcast and brand is kind of around. Is like science fiction nerds, Marvel, Star Wars, sure. like even the independent stuff. I love, I love like the 1930s, 1940s pulp fiction, and then I'm big into like, and not really conspiracy theories, but like cryptids and aliens and things sure. like that. So it's really interesting. You know, you mentioned that that like even World War II and even recently. Um, if you look at like, there's a few stories, like I think it's called the Kandahar giant from Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, where I guess there's a few different versions, but like a, a platoon of special forces soldiers go missing. So they send in another platoon to investigate and a giant with like six fingers, red hair, almost very biblical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is even a true story. It, very interesting, but, uh, they, they fought him and killed him. And, um, I guess uh, black Hawk took it to one, a base and then a C-130 came in and picked it up and uh, just stories like that, alien stories and things like that as, as an aviator as well. I find that interesting when, and some of that stuff, like there's a lot of Naval pilots who are coming out now who are talking about like unidentified flying objects and, and, you know, little spheres or, or whatever it is that they're seeing, you know, nowadays and there's video footage. So it's, I would, well, I would I, totally watch it. Yeah, there's something to that. I mean, I, I truly believe that we've been visited. I think we are being oh, yeah. visited. I'm not tr- trying to put tinfoil on my head, but from what <laughs> I, all the things that I've seen, you mm-hmm. know, the hieroglyphics on uh, even when I went to the Mayan ruins at Chichen Itza, there were like clearly space vehicles on their <laughs> hieroglyphics. Yeah. It's like, well, how did they get here? I mean, they all have this, this similar stories in every different yeah. country, you know, of, of disks in the sky. So it can't be... Yeah. It's got to be something to it, you know, and uh, I'd be surprised if there weren't, you know, but um, yeah, so the UFOs and and, in fact, matter of fact, uh, the the L.A., the L.A., the Battle of L.A. in 1942, they talk about how they were firing at a disc for like three hours and they never hit it. What was it? 
We don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um, the Germans had these, uh, where they reverse engineering a, a spaceship because they had something called Die Glocke, which was like a bell. And they thought it was anti-gravity uh, huh. that they were working on. And they were working on yes. so many different things. Like, you know, you almost wonder, was there something else here yeah. helping them along, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's interesting. I So I guess, like you mentioned, I guess, pitching to investors and things like that to get hopefully a budget and then, you know, working from that. Is that typically how the process is? Is like you'll have the creative process, refine it, kind of get a pilot going or something, and then you start pitching it and trying to build off that? Or is there I wish like- I knew because I would have sold it by now. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had an answer. The original idea was when I had the idea for the sitcom was not to shoot it, was just to sell it, to pitch it to Netflix. And I had I had an entertainment attorney, a friend of mine, that was going to help uh, try to pitch the idea. Then another one of my friends said, hey, why don't we just make the actual pilot as best we can with the money we have and then okay. try to shop that? Yeah. Um, well, we pitched it. We 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 finished it. And one of my buddies actually got it on Amazon. So you can go on Amazon and, and actually rent it. Um, so I thought cool. that would get the eyeballs on it at least. Yeah. And uh, which was the next thing to do, which we did. But we haven't heard back anything. And, and, and you can't you can't let it stop you just because the first thing you did yeah. didn't work. You know, yeah, I haven't, I haven't stopped pushing it or, or pitching it. It's just that, you know, it may not work yeah. under uh, current uh, conditions. But if I were to get like a win lotto tomorrow, I would personally finance it because I believe yeah. in it myself, you yeah. know. And the thing that, that frustrates me the most is there are so many people with money in Connecticut that that claim they love the arts. They want to see a TV uh, show here. And yet when you when it comes to get the purse strings open, they don't want to open the purse strings. And it wouldn't take very much money. I mean, all they'd have to do to even get 10 episodes done, you get 20 guys to give you $50,000 and you're all yes. set. You know, yeah. that have the they can use it as, as a tax write-off or or even yeah. if they can use it as, as a tax write-off, it's yeah. nothing to them. Some people, it's nothing to them to write a check for $50,000. It's crazy. You know, or you get a thousand people to write a couple thousand dollars, you know, if it's not 50,000, yeah. you know, there's, there's money out there and... I'm telling you, once a TV series, whether it's mine or somebody else's, gets off, then you have the thing about films, as I've always said, is the film comes in for two or three months and then it's over. They leave. Yeah. With a TV show, you got regular people working every single week on yeah. a new project that's part of the show. That's why I'm pushing a series, whether it's a, yeah. a drama or a sitcom. You know, yeah. that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. Well, um, to all the viewers listening, check out the big shot. Um, and Hopefully we can get some traction, get some uh, interest in it, because I definitely would love to see a lot of uh, projects in Connecticut. Be be a cool thing to you know, be able to be like, oh, I know that place, and I've driven past that place, or I've gone there, you know, gone to that restaurant, whatever. And and I um, have no problem. I, I personally contact yeah. the people I want, like Nikki Cage or Will Wheaton or any of these yeah. people. Brendan Fraser, um, he turned us down, yeah. but at least his people looked at it and he said he just said yeah. it wasn't his cup of tea. But I'm not afraid of of contacting the celebrities, and uh, that's yeah. easy for me to do. You know, but yeah. when it's it's the catch twenty two, the uh, chicken and the egg. You know, you you contact their their agent, and then well, where's the money? They want to know the money is there. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, listen, I want to know if Nick Cage is interested in it first. Then I'll raise the money once you give me his letter of intent. Yeah, and I'll go out and say, hey, Nick Cage is interested in working on this yeah. film or this TV show. You know, yeah. wouldn't you're that be in great? Cycle now because now they're saying, oh, well, we need interest in it, right, from the investor side, but then the the actor talent side is like, you know, it's kind of like they want. Well, 
Right. What we have going for us is we, we they, yeah. so a lot of them ask you if you have distribution. We have distribution through Amazon yeah. through a friend of mine. He says, if okay. you get this on, I'll put it on Amazon. So getting it on, getting it seen yeah. on the streaming service is not the problem. I've got the yeah. episodes. They're all done. The scripts are all finished. I've got the uh, all the, the talent in place or the um, the actors behind the scene, the crew. But it's just about getting the money now. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully that will come. But I'm not giving up. And I have several ideas and I don't mind working on somebody else's projects to get it done mm -hmm. first. Um, being a producer on several other films comes sometimes that, yeah. that gets you up the ladder too. Once you've done yeah. a few other things, um, so that's what I do too. I produced I produced some low budget films, you know, and uh, uh, looking to do that again. Yeah. So, and I, I wish you the best of luck, Josh. Too is it Josh or Joshua? Uh, Josh. Josh. All right. Yes. Well, I wish you the best in the uh, and 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 the only advice I would give to you uh, personally or to any. Any actor is mm -hmm. just to just keep volunteering. There's also all your theater groups, Manchester community, yeah. uh, they have their own community theaters, and Farmington Valley has one. Definitely. Almost every town has one that you can get involved that way. And if you want to know what's going on as far as um, people that might need extras in a film, you just have to go to our site, our uh, Facebook site, you know, Hartford. Okay. Um, Hartford Film and Media Commission. Okay. If they awesome. go to that on Facebook, they can. Uh, I can invite them in, and then. They can see what's coming up. Awesome. Interesting. But that helps. For sure. I'll have to check that out myself. Yeah. Awesome. So I'd like to, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, That's all right. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on. I hopefully could have you on again. Um, and Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would love to have you on again. Um, and this should be hopefully aired within, once the new year starts, I'm going to be start rolling out episodes once a week. And Hopefully, I'll let you know when it comes out. I can send you to the edited version. Yeah, once make it I, short because uh, I don't want to be too boring. Make it shorter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have a very interesting perspective, and the fact that you've put in the work and have a lot of insights towards the industry and then life's philosophies was really uh, insightful. So I really, it was an honor to have you on, and appreciate oh, having thank you. On the podcast. And, and, and if I can help with any guests that you might need, that I have friends of, you know, I can, I can, I'll make some suggestions to you of other people that are writers or filmmakers that you might want as your guests uh, in the future. Most definitely. Most definitely. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. I'm looking for hopefully I have as many guests on and different perspectives and, you know, experiences. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks. Well, so happy much, new Steve. year Thank to you, you, Josh. Happy new year to you too, Steve. <laughs> awesome. I will. Well, thank everyone for listening. I appreciate it. If you're interested, please do give a follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to, as well as check out the big shot, check out, uh, you know, Steve Emerzian and his projects and stuff like that. Hopefully we can get this moving. Hopefully some sort of online traction. Let's put a petition and uh, get it going. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for joining Steve. Awesome. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening. Consider absolutely smashing the subscribe button for more content like this.